You are listening to Natural Born Alchemist. Welcome to episode number 292 of the Natural Born Alchemist podcast. My name is Alex and I'll be your host. I hope everyone is enjoying the summer or winter depending on where you live. It's summer where I am and it's hard as fuck. I've been very busy lately doing a lot of work on my land, building a greenhouse amongst other things and expanding the land, removing a few trees. Removing trees was a very traumatic experience because I love trees and I don't want to cut them down. But I had a few asp trees, I think that's what it's called in English, asp. And uh, they are... uh, They were in the way, so to speak. So I had to remove a few of them. And they grow like weed. So I shouldn't feel too guilty about it. The oak trees, the the other trees I have, uh, of course I left standing. Uh, But I had a huge asp tree. And, um, uh, you know, I thought I would miss it once it was gone. But I didn't. You know, uh, it had to go because I am um, remodeling the land around my house and uh, I need some space to grow vegetables and other plants and other trees. In fact, I'm thinking about planting an apple tree, a walnut tree and a few other things. Uh, Maybe I'll put down a couple of beehives. I'm also building a greenhouse. I shouldn't say I'm building it. There's a few guys building it for me because I have a lot of skills. But when it comes to constructing a greenhouse, well, my skill ends. So they're building it for me and it's hopefully going to look quite sweet. And in there, I'm planning to grow herbs and vegetables and other things. As well as I'll try to grow some iboga, some weed some uh, peyote and other things not so much to use more like you know i want to tend to them i want to grow them i'm not a gardener i'm not a farmer uh, but i want to have those skills i think it's very important to be able to grow your own food even if you're not 100 percent self-sustained you know at least be able to grow a few items that you can put on your plate I think that is very empowering. And uh, gardening takes time. You need patience. You need trust. You need wisdom. And I'm thinking that uh, I haven't really... I mean, the project has started, but I I haven't really put a seed into the earth yet. So it's still in the uh, pre-production phase, so to speak. But... Already I I have this sense that uh, this project of growing my own food, growing my own herbs, you know, making this garden functional is going to help me internally to grow my inner garden. Because the plants are the teachers. And even if they might not give you a psychedelic effect... You know, even a carrot can teach you something. And growing a carrot can teach you something. You have to pay attention to the seasons, the weather. You know, you have to 
Watch out for enemies that want to eat your carrots. I have a lot of deer where I live, so I'm going to have to protect my plants from them. I could shoot them, but I don't want to. So I'd rather uh, figure out ways to make them not be able to access the goodies. Um, Now, in this episode, I want to play a mix of a workshop Terence McKenna held in 1998 called In the Valley of Novelty. And I've lifted it from the Psychedelic Salon podcast. This is a very long workshop. Many, many, many hours. But I've cut it down to under 20 minutes. So uh, I think you will enjoy it. uh, Because you can never go wrong with a bit of Terence. When uh, I've reached further in this gardening project. I'll uh, probably do a more proper episode about it. But I just wanted to share that piece of information and if you follow me in social media I'm sure you're gonna see some pictures about it Uh, also don't forget to uh, subscribe to my youtube channel currently 124 individuals have subscribed not much but uh, it's more than one and uh, you want to be number 125 go ahead and subscribe Just go to YouTube and search for Natural Born Alchemist and you'll find it. Anyway, here's Terence. That within us, under the influence of these plants, we have literally Niagara's of alien beauty. This is an area where I think sanity counts. There's no no points gained for being fanatical or maniacal. This isn't an area where you have to push the process. The process can push you harder and faster than you may wish. So it's once you get to this place on what a, we might metaphorically call your spiritual quest, once you get to the place where you hear about psychedelics. The issue is no longer then uh, about where is the gas pedal and the spiritual vehicle. The issue suddenly becomes where is the brake? Because you know this is the fuel to go where you want to go. This is the power to lift you where you want to be lifted. Those issues are somehow now overcome. It becomes a very different game now, a much subtler game. The doorway stands open, and all it requires is courage, which is not to say it doesn't require a lot. It does require a lot, but what it is is courage. You know, very few people go to the ashram for their daily meditation with their knees knocking in terror over what is about to sweep over them they are pretty confident that they've got it confined and nailed down. It isn't so with this. I mean, I've done it many times. There are many people here who've done it many times. And and the, the survivors are not confident. It doesn't build hubris in you. It doesn't promote bravado because you know how quickly and horrifyingly it can cut you down to size if you uh, if you presume it or if you presume you understand it or if you presume to use it uh, 
So sometimes the issue of magic and power comes up. I wouldn't get near that. Uh, my goal is to see more, to understand more. And what I do on a trip is damn near absolutely nothing. You know, I have two or three J's rolled in front of me. If I can get through them in the course of the evening, all goals have been met. Um, to, to see, to understand, to remember. It's, uh, it's an incredible statement about our humanness. It's a double-edged statement about our humanness that within us, under the influence of these plants, we have literally Niagara's of alien beauty. I mean, I when I go to Manhattan, I go to the Met and the Guggenheim and I haunt the galleries of Soho. When I take mushrooms, I see more art in 20 minutes of behind-the-eyelids hallucination in total darkness than the human race seems to have produced in the last thousand years. Well, so on one level, that's an incredible statement about the human capacity to generate and be in the presence of beauty. But the paradox is that so few people know this, that our ordinary styles of being, our ordinary relationships to plants, our uh, main brand religions almost never carry us into the sense of this potential for beauty. And when I was young, you know, in my early 20s, uh, wandering around India, trying to sort all this out, having taken some psychedelics, but reading uh, yogic texts and Mahayana texts and all this, I discovered in every culture there is what I call wise old man wisdom or wise old woman wisdom. You know, in every culture at evening, you see sitting on porches men smoking pipes, old men. And these guys know something. They know something about life, how to till the soil, how to raise a family, how to, you know, shepherd children through their marriages and so forth and so on. But what I did not find in these cultures was any knowledge of this gratuitous grace. This is like a secret of some sort. And it's a true secret in the telling it does not give it away. I know this because I've been trying to tell the secret for 25 years to anyone who would listen as you listen tonight. And I don't know how many people hear, at what level people hear me. And there are many problems. First of all, uh, there's the problem of dose. It's a physical problem. You can take a little of a psychedelic substance or an effective dose or a lot or too much. I've always been interested in what the literature describes as effective doses. What this means is that you're so loaded that a guy standing there with a 
clipboard looking at you is completely convinced you're totally loaded. You know, all pretense uh, dissolves. At these higher doses, um, the machinery of phenomenological description begins to come to pieces on you. And in my experience, someone mentioned the difference between mystical experiences and psychedelics. There are enormous similarities and enormous differences. If you study the mystical literature of Hinduism, Christianity, Buddhism, it all triangulates toward unitary states. The, the you know, Bodhi mind, the white light, the ineffable, the unnameable, the radiance, vocabularies like this, which indicate some kind of homogeneity. Well, in my experience, though when you push LSD, there is something somewhat like that. LSD is not my idea of the paradigmatic hallucinogen. It's different in many ways. Uh, psilocybin is more the paradigmatic hallucinogen. And when you push it, there seems to be not this merging into the radiance, but a revelation of multiplicity, of detail, of complexification within complexification. Everything gives way to everything else. Everything is interconnected to everything else. But the impression is one of an overwhelmingly bewildering perfusion of phenomena. And, you know, I've discussed this with lamas and these sorts of people, and they say, well, you're just, you're in the realm of samsara. You're in the realm of the multiplistic. Perhaps, but the sense of a hierarchy of judgment doesn't feel right. Somehow this all and everything, this teeming multiplistic universe that is revealed, seems to carry a message of ecstatic and transcendental import. It's all and everything in Gurdjieff's phrase. shamanism from the outside with the values of Western civilization unconsciously applied uh, in cultures that are taking psychedelics this thing which we call singing is a very complicated activity indeed and if you've ever sung on psychedelics you know that you know it's an ecstatic and complicated and synesthetic experience. I mean, to to make of your body a vibrator for sound, to to you know move out into the Pythagorean octaves with the human voice, and it, it's extraordinary, actually. I mean, how capable of sound human beings are. No other animal has the range and control uh, and of course they say well this is because 
we're adapted for spoken language. But I think we had a lot of this range and control before. Um, so things, words that we use very knowledgeably, like song, ancestor spirit, power place, we're not getting 90% of the nuance of these meanings because they go so gracelessly into English. Uh, when a shaman talks about uh, spirit, he's using a term as technically complicated in his mind as when a physicist uses the term beauty to describe a quark. You know, it's a, it's very technically defined. And we tend to simplify and then suppose that we understand. Uh, part of the thing I found with hanging with shamans in various places and times is uh, that once you get past the language barrier, what shamans are are simply curious people, uh, intellectuals of a certain type. Uh, in Australian Aboriginal slang, a shaman is called a clever fella. If someone says, I'm a clever fella, they mean, you know, I'm a shaman. Well, that's all it is. You know, it's somebody who pays attention to how things actually work and sort of uh, transcends the culture by that means. It's a weird paradox. It's that the shamans, who are the keepers of the cultural values, are also necessarily of the keepers of the secrets of the theatrics of the cultural values. And so they live their lives in the light of the knowledge that it all rests on showbiz. It, you know, everybody else is a true believer, but these are the image makers, the people who, who actually pull the strings and uh, control the evolution of the mythologies. And in a way, it's a situation of alienation. Mersiliad talks a lot about this in shamanism, the archaic techniques of ecstasy, and in uh, history, the eternal return. Uh, talks about how the shaman is socially marginal, politically marginal, lives at the edge of the village, and so forth and so on, but and is feared by the people. Uh, because do dealings with the shaman are always dealings about life and death. But then the shaman comes forward in this critical role as go-between, as mediator between the cultural mind and the real world, which is this potent set of forces and planetary cycles and meteorological events and diseases and you know, fate. And the shaman mediates. In many languages, the word for shaman means go-between. So the cost of this, or the price of this, for the shaman himself or herself is a kind of alienation from the cultural values and a kind of understanding that uh, it's, it's just a, it's a game that's kept in play. Uh, and this is true in our culture as well. You don't think the people who market all this crap and uh, 
and produce all this bad art and so forth and so on love it or watch it or consume it they market it its basic purpose is to delude the and distract uh, the masses so the psychedelics what they bring into that shamanic situation is sort of rocket fuel for the project of cultural detoxification or ro- gnostic rocket fuel into a realm of cultural alienation and then and from that point of view then uh these other dimensions of reality come into being and and deeper understanding comes into being i mean one of the things i think after spending a while with all this is it really helps to be educated it really helps to cram a lot of information and experience into your head because the logos the alien ai the higher and hidden god that is trying to reach down to you and deliver the message is a collagist it can't really compose the message except out of bits and pieces of what you already possess the issue is no longer than uh about where is the gas pedal and the spiritual vehicle the issue suddenly becomes where is the brake Now, if you enjoy this podcast, but you want to listen to other podcasts, uh, you you don't think I release enough episodes, maybe, or you get bored hearing my voice, uh, maybe you want to listen to something else. Uh, so maybe you could check this podcast out. Project Archivist is a podcast that takes a look at the world of the wonderful, the weird, and the strange. Not always paranormal, but always different. Join us as we take a look at the weird world around us through guest interviews and roundtable discussions. You can find our show at www.projectarchivist.com, on iTunes, Podbean, Stitcher, or any place you can find podcasts. Since we listened to Terrence McKenna, I want to close with a Terrence McKenna song. It's called... The Ballad of Terence McKenna by Whitley. Enjoy summer or winter, depending on where you live. I'll see you soon. Freedom is in the mind. It is not a mean world. It's beautiful. I've seen it and I know it shines in you. The feeling that we once knew given back. By lovers, by friendships, impermanence dies in the face of your heart And time stands still, I know it gets hard sometimes But you must try, remember it is not a mean word It's beautiful, I see it And in a moment it's gone But 
I see. 